Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day. I'm super excited because today I'm speaking with Carolyn Custis James. Carolyn is a respected Bible scholar. She travels extensively across the U.S. and even around the world, speaking at churches, conferences, colleges, theological seminaries, and other ministry organizations. You might know Carolyn from some of her award-winning books. She has written Maelstrom, Half the Church, The Gospel of Ruth, as well as many others. On today's podcast, we'll be diving into the lenses we bring to our reading of Scripture and how these lenses inform or sometimes misinform our view of manhood and womanhood. Carolyn digs into a word study of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and even talks about an unexpected connection between the book of Ruth and Job. So join us as we dive into this insightful conversation. Carolyn, I'm so happy to have you with us today and very excited about uh, the insights that you're going to be sharing with our church leaders audience. So welcome. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be part of your program. Awesome. Well, um, just to start off with, uh, I was I was looking at um, your bio on your Twitter profile, and this is what it reads. It says, champions a male-female blessed alliance and practices what she preaches with Frank James. And Frank is obviously your husband. And just right. to kind of jump into this, how do you preach and practice this male-female <laughs> blessed alliance? Wow. Um, well, it came uh, through my study in Genesis 1 and 2, because when I started looking at questions that I was having as a woman, and what is my purpose, and is this something I can miss or lose or be cheated of or spoiled? It was um, in going to the, those texts and asking, does this include me? Is everything that God is saying in the creation narrative, does it apply to all of us? You know, the biggest struggle for me was a was a long stretch of singleness where, you know, if you're single and you read the creation story and it starts being all about marriage, it's sort of like, well, you're on the outside looking in. And um, so that's sort of where the question started for me. And when I looked at what God was saying about his male and female image bearers, the, the more I dug into it, and it's it sort of, it's one of three parts of, of, conclusions that I drew from this that have just been life-changing, but looking at how he creates his male and female image bearers, and then he spreads the whole world before them, and he calls them to rule and subdue creation, not each other, but creation, and um, to be fruitful and multiply, which is, you know, it. It has physical implications that, you know, it means procreation, but it also is, is spiritual and theological to multiply image bearers of the living God. But he's giving it all to them together. And, um, and he's not making any distinctions between them and saying, now this is his job and that's her job. It's like, this is the whole world and you are my representatives as my image bearers. You are the reflections of me. Um, you speak and act for me, and you care for things on my behalf. 
and he gives that to both of them and and he blesses them and i coined the expression blessed alliance from that and i concluded that this is not just wouldn't it be nice if you know men and women could work together or if men would make room at the table for women but that it is a kingdom strategy that it's the way God means for his world to work best is when his sons and daughters join forces and work together. And um, the the Frank James part of this um, was that there was a um, practical outworking of it in our marriage uh, that I didn't see coming, and I'm not sure he did either. But when we first got married... We were here in Philadelphia, and um, and my husband is a visionary, so he's always saying things to me that sort of stun me, and and I can't let it doesn't go away. And one of the things he said to me early on in our marriage was, was um, you need to find out what God wants you to do with your life, and I'm not the answer to that question, which wasn't what I was expecting. wasn't what, how I'd been raised. You know, I was thinking, well, now that I'm married, we're doing his story. And he, he just didn't see things that way. And there was a point where our lives intersected in a different way, where he was asking me to type his papers. He was in seminary at the time. And you know, it was a pain in the neck for me to do that because I was I had a job where I was doing a lot of typing. But when I did it, I started to get into what he was thinking and what he was working on and saying, I think this paragraph belongs over here. Or why did you say this? Maybe needs, you know, just sort of engaging his work. And he did that for me because I had opportunities to advance and he was like a champion for me, cheering me on and uh, somebody I could bounce ideas off of when I didn't quite know what to do next. And we have been that for each other. And both of us would say, we have done more because of the other person than we ever would have done on our own. Um, there's not a thing I do that he hasn't either opened the door and shoved me through it or seen that the door was opening and pushed me through it. You know, my writing, my speaking, my whole ministry has, um, I've had somebody who challenged me and, you know, wanted me to be wholehearted in my obedience to God. And here's another example, because there are lots of ways that the secular world is acknowledging this. Um, After the 2008 economic crash, uh, financial experts were saying, would we be in this mess if it had been Lehman Brothers and Sisters? And not because women are better, but because different decisions get made when you get the whole you know, broader perspective of both male and female points of view. Um, you know, they're just discovering this in so many different um, fields of study and I believe in my heart of hearts that this was the key strategy for humanity, that Jesus restores 
you know, and he prays for us to be one as he and the Father are one. Um, and it's what the enemy dismantled at the fall. I mean, just completely dismantled it. Carolyn, thank you for that. And as I'm reflecting on what you just shared, I'm curious, do you feel that we as a society are moving closer or further away from a biblical understanding of manhood and womanhood? And if you could respond to that question first in terms of the culture in general, and then more specifically from a perspective of the church. I would say it's it's a mix everywhere, um, that there are moments where we see that kind of alliance form. I mean, it's the starting point of this is every human being is God's image bearer. Um, you know, it's not something you become when you repent and turn to Jesus. Um, it's something every human being is born to be. Um, we all are that. So you can see amazing image bearing reflections of something otherworldly, um, in people who don't know Jesus. And, um, you know, it's part of being human to be kind, be, you know, to pursue justice, to love your neighbor. And we, you know, we see this, um, in, in human history, in culture, in the wider culture. But I think, you know, in, in the fact that we live in a fallen world is it means that we are all broken. And so, you know, we've all got a long way to go. And there are places where, where that, there are breakthroughs in this. Um, I think often uh, the view is that if you include a woman in the conversation, you've sort of taken care of that issue. And um, what I hear from women who are at the table is that often things carry on as they always have, and there's the voice of a woman is silenced. So it's deeper. It's deeper than saying, you know, okay, we'll, ha- we'll have a woman here. It's deeper than that. It takes us to sacrificial levels of interacting with one another it comes to the level of saying not we will have we will have a chair at the table for a woman but we need her there you know just like we need a mix of perspectives um not just male female but you know different ethnicities and different cultural perspectives coming to the table and so, you know, I think that this is this we've made we've made progress in some ways and there are situations where there's a real strong sense of team and alliance uh between men and women that approaches what God had in mind for us in the beginning. Um but I, you know, I would say we we all have a long way to go in this. Right. And Speaking specifically to um, to the church world, how has the church contributed, um, either positively or negatively, to embracing a true biblical understanding of of women and men? Well, I think we start out with a real um, at a real disadvantage, and let me just speak as a Westerner and an American. And I talk about this in my books, and it's something that I'm 
continuing to learn about. Um, and it got very strong in the book Maelstrom. But this is where, when when we come to the scripture as Western Americans, we are coming to a book that is not an American book, and it is not a Western book. And if we don't, if that isn't our starting point, if we just lunge into biblical interpretation and never leave our shores, never understand how that world worked, uh, we will miss the meaning of the text. You know, we we come with our own presuppositions that are that are Western. You know, that's why people talk about the Book of Ruth, for example, in terms of dating and romance, which is not how marriages work under patriarchy. And it becomes in, interpretations of of narratives in the Bible, and even um, you know the, the epistles take on a whole new depth when we start to look at the text through the lens of patriarchy. And what we've done instead is we've assumed that patriarchy is the divinely approved system, although we've, you know, thrown out slavery and we've took that took a while. Um, and we've thrown out polygamy, but we retain pieces of it because it's the Bible is saturated in patriarchy, but you know the, the thesis that I that I argue in Maelstrom is that patriarchy is not the message of the Bible; it is the backdrop to the Bible's message, and it makes that message more powerful when you see it. And just a simple example um, is the story of Mary of Bethany seated at the feet of Rabbi Jesus. And in our culture, where women are educated, women get PhDs and become professors, that is really not a very exciting text. And so we do all sorts of things with it. But if you took that story over to the Middle East, to Afghanistan, where girls have acid thrown in their faces when they go to school, and you showed them what Jesus was doing there, they would love him. And that's because in even Jesus' day, it was considered a waste of time and worse to try to educate a woman. But Jesus is doing that, and, and, it, and it changes her whole story, and it changes his story, too. So, Carolyn, in your opinion, what is the most damaging lens that we bring when we begin looking at Scripture? You know, our Western American thinking is damaging when we come to the Scriptures because, you know, when we come to Scripture, what happened at the fall was the destruction of the relationship between humanity and their and our Creator and the destruction of the relationship between male and female. And, you know, we live in that, and we're all impacted by the fall. And when Jesus came, he said he came to bring a kingdom that is not of this world. So I think we should be looking for something that's very different than what we're willing to settle for, and that 
we're on the edges of it. You know, it's not like, oh, well, we've got this figured out. We don't have it figured out. There's so much more to learn. Um, you know, when, when you come to the study of God's Word, you know, we're on the edges of infinity <laughs> because God is infinite, and there's always more to learn. And I think in the West, we feel like, you know, we've sort of, we've got this mastered, you know, and 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 so instead of being explorers and inquirers and on a quest to learn more, we sort of think we know it all and and we don't and you know I, I, to me it's so exciting to keep learning and growing and discovering new layers of scripture it you know it's i think you know we're a bit arrogant when we take the scriptures and begin to teach them without the sense of you know that we that there's it's an infinite subject that we are delving into Carolyn, I too love that idea of exploring scripture and just digging in and uncovering those new layers. Can you share an example of a time where you came to understand a passage of scripture differently because you were digging in? I don't know if you've heard of Bruce Walke, but he was teaching a class. He's an Old Testament scholar and um, was moved into new territory in his teaching because he's usually focused on the poetic books but was asked to teach some of the historical books. And so when he got to the book of Ruth, I just, you know, I just thought I'm going to this class. My husband was president of the seminary where he was, where um, Bruce was teaching. And I just thought I'm going. (laughs) And so when he got to the book of Ruth, I thought, well, you know, I know this story backwards and forwards. And, and that was the first thing, the first shock for me was when he said, this is the story of a female Job. Right. And I, after that, and the other thing that he said that was shocking to me um, was actually life-changing for me, was that he said, Ruth is initiating the action in the story. And yeah. I have never, That's a total flip, that. right? That is a total flip from yeah. what... I mean, what commonly, you know, you, you think of, you know, you think of yeah. Boaz as being the one who initiates all of the, you know, the positive interaction and, and, yeah. and you know, well, I mean, and he, right. Yeah. And he's the one that, he's the one that gives us, you know, the, the point of the book, you know, where we say he's the kinsman redeemer, right. he's the Christ figure. Well, Ruth is a Christ figure too, with what she's doing, because she's laying down her life, you exactly. know, in so many ways for Naomi and, and I think Boaz comes off a million times better under this interpretation. I mean, he doesn't, he is so amazing. And, you know, if you have him getting the girl, it's not the same as all the huge sacrifices he's making and the way he's willing to listen to somebody who's a brand new believer, who's in his field, who's saying, you know, this, we, can we do this differently? <laughs> yeah. And he, you know, he, every time, every time, he's just incredible. Very powerful man, and he uses his power for others. I mean, in Maelstrom, his chapter is called The Power of Power. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's just, I love him. So, you know, I, it's just, it was a total game changer for me because I, 
I never thought of myself as a leader. And when I read the book of Ruth, the way this new scholarship, where it was pointing, and then I took the ball and ran with it because I'm a woman. So I look at this from that vantage point, which has yielded a whole lot more. But, you know, it just, for me, it wiped out any excuse for saying you're not a leader. Right. Um, for any for anybody. Well, that's so good, Carolyn. And that leads me to this. How do you think that globalization in our contemporary world is informing our understanding of manhood and womanhood? I mean, I think this is an, an exciting time to be alive. Um, you know, the world has gotten smaller in so many ways. Um, globalization is exposing us to other cultures. When I started looking at Genesis, the creation narrative, which is the pre-fall, that's the only part of the Bible that we have that's before everything got wrecked. And, right. you know, when when I started looking at that, I thought, you know what, I'm not asking big enough questions. And at first I was asking for me because I felt lost and that I wasn't going to get to be a true woman because everybody was saying, you know, it's marriage and motherhood and I was single. And, you know, but then I started looking at other women and thinking, wow, you know, that woman never married or that woman never had children or that woman has had an amazing career and she hasn't been, you know, um, um, you know, domestic, uh, domestic in the domestic world so much. And that woman's marriage just collapsed. And that woman has, you know, all the kinds of things. And so I go back with those bigger questions. But then I thought, you know what, this is when the Bible isn't just for America. It's for the world. And I need to ask questions that are global. And I need to ask questions that, you know, somebody who just got bombed in Syria, you know, I need to ask for her, you know, the one who just lost her family. Um, you know, we need to ask bigger questions. And, um, you know, I, when I went at it, I thought, I want to know what this says to everybody and not just certain people whose lives are happen to be, you know, wondrously blessed um, in certain ways. So, you know, I think the changes in the world that, that are so unsettling right now are also opportunities to ask new questions um, and bigger questions. Yeah, and I think that's so good as, as you're saying that and kind of walking through some of your own journey. Um, mm. I, I was thinking about how oftentimes we approach, especially in the Western world here in America, we approach a relationship with Jesus in a very individualized um personal way, right? It's, it is my relationship with Jesus. It is my, you know, spiritual development. It is my, um, opportunity to make it into uh, heaven, you know, at the end of it all for me. And, mm-hmm. and we miss out on so much when we are focused on just kind of Jesus and me, as opposed to, what you were expressing, you know, initially you were going into this because you had your own questions, but then God just opened it up and helped you see the kind of the communal aspect of what it means to be the people of God. Right. And I don't think God has given up on his original vision. You know, we think it's, it's all about getting to heaven, but there is in the beginning, um, you know, there's an expression that in uh, the field of it, higher education, they've 
come up with called threshold knowledge. And that's like core concepts that once you understand them, they transform how you think about everything. And Genesis 1 and 2 gives us threshold knowledge. It gives us knowledge about our absolute necessity of a relationship with our creator. You know, to be, to image somebody you don't know is not possible. You know, it's something we're supposed to, to work at. And, um, you know, for him to create this relationship between male and female and, and to bless it and say it, this is very good. And to underscore our need for one another in creating the special close-up creation of male and female in the second chapter, um, that he is still calling us to this and that it, it gives meaning and purpose to every endeavor that human beings engage in. It's not just spiritual, but it's medicine and music and science and literature and you know, uh, construction and all the kinds of things that people do to cultivate and use the earth's resources and to look after things on, on his behalf. That's part of what this is, you know, the kingdom that he calls us to. It involves every occupation that we can engage in, you know, and it, and it means we're capable of doing kingdom work and we're all called to leadership, um, because we represent him, and so we have responsibility for what happens in his world. Um, so it's very big, you know. And it's and I think when we when we say, okay, what does it mean to be a female? What does it mean to be a male? And we've sort of got to stick to those things, you know. God pushes us right out of that box into something we didn't expect. Can you share with our listeners some of the biblical scholarship work that you have done? specifically on the words that God chose to use in Scripture there in this foundational piece, Genesis 1 and 2, um, just in the beginning of Genesis there, to speak of women all the way back there in the beginning, right? When God looked at man and said it is not good for him to be alone. Can you unpack right. that for us? I'd love to. <laughs> um, you know, this is where when I went to the text, I thought, I want to know if this is is talking about every woman from her first breath to her last. And no matter how her story plays out or where she lives in the world or what time in history she showed up, um, I want to know if this is for all of us. And what one of the things that I noticed is that it doesn't talk about marriage until the very end, until it speaks of how this applies to marriage. And so really what's happening in the second chapter of Genesis is the creation of male and female. And um, it's a text where we often make jokes, but, um, you know, we, we make jokes of the man and we make jokes of the woman, but it is, there's nothing funny about what's happening here. And there's nothing wrong with the man. Uh, God isn't fixing the man. Um, he's just finished naming the animals. That is the beginning of science. It's the beginning of zoology. It's what kind of a mind <laughs> did that take? So it's not that, that he's that there's something wrong with them. It's that God is teaching us about human relationships. And he's saying it's not good for the man to be alone, and it's a blanket statement 
it's not saying that it's not good for the man to be alone at home or, you know, when, it, you know, when it's time for having kids or, you know, it's about every sphere. There's no, there are no parameters on that. And then when he creates the woman, he creates her out of the man himself. So, you know, when the man first sees her, he, he recognizes himself in her, um, you know, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh is, is acknowledging, you know, you are, you are me, <laughs> you know, you're not like the rest of creation. This is something vastly different. But the part about it that I ended up focusing on was the word that is used for the woman, and it is the Hebrew word azer. And it's usually translated helper um, in the Bible. Uh, and But what scholars will do when they come across a word in the text is they'll do an inventory to find out how many times and how a word like that is used in the Bible. And they found that the word azer was used 21 times. And then they broke it down. It's used two times in Genesis 2 for the woman. It's used three times for nations when Israel's under attack and they want those nations to send their armies because they're, they're overpowered. And the remaining 16 times, it's used for God as the helper of his people. Um, so God is giving a name to his daughters that is his name too. And so somehow this is, this is how women uniquely image God as the Azer. Well, I looked up all those verses because when I did my study, this debate that we have going on in the church about women and leadership and women in the home and marriage was sort of stuck at, um, you know, if this is used for God, it must mean she's the strong helper. But then they kept arguing about how strong are we talking about. What I did was I looked up all those verses, and um, all the verses about God, I began to see a pattern where it was always used in a military context. You know, there, there was military language. God is our shield and defense. He's better than chariots and horses. He stands sentry watch over his people. Every single one of those 16 verses had that kind of language. And, of course, the three nations, that was all about send your armies. So I go back to the Garden of Eden and look at it again and think, you know what, there's an enemy getting ready to attack. The Garden of Eden is a war zone. And there are dangerous trees in the Garden of Eden where if you eat of the tree, you'll die. And God commands the man to guard the garden. It's the same military language used for the angel guarding the garden after they are evicted. And they're called to rule and subdue, which means they'll experience resistance to their efforts. And I concluded from that that the Azer is a warrior and that um, the battle that God was calling humanity to before the fall meant engaging the enemy, meant the struggle of the life of faith. And what he's teaching us there is that we need each other, that that what the woman brings, she's supposed to bring her whole self, and she's supposed to be watching his back and engaging the battle with him and, you know, bringing her full strength to the battle, um, that we're not supposed to be adversaries or competitors with each other, that that we're supposed to be in alliance. Um 
you know, so, I mean, I have Azer on my license plate um, in Pennsylvania. So, you know, it just, to me, it's it just redefined my whole life to say, you know, I'm called to engage the battle and I'm called to stand with my brothers and I'm called to to speak up when things aren't right. It's so good. Carolyn, I, I tell you, it's been such a joy to have you with us on the Church Leaders Podcast, and you've you've definitely uh, given us much to, to think through and to process through. How can people, um, if, if they want to, to learn more, how can they um, connect with you? Well, um, they can connect with me through my website, and I hope people will be interested in reading some of the things I've written, my books. But um, my website is carolyncustisjames.com, and um, there's a way if they want to communicate with me, they can get in touch with me that way. Excellent. And tell everyone what your Twitter handle is as well. It's Carolyn Azer. So it's Carolyn, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-E-Z-E-R. I love that. I love that. Again, <laughs> Carolyn, thank you so much um, for being with us. We certainly appreciate you taking the time and um, all that God has been doing in you and uh, along your journey and um, how you have been um, so helpful in sharing those things that God's revealed to you with us. And so we certainly appreciate that. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, too. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.